I'm not a, a runner like Brian Parks. Uh, I have run. And uh, I, I, I did a half marathon once, and that's for the birds. I mean, it's a long time. Uh, and and it, the, the thing about the, I'm sorry, Josh, but the thing about the half marathon, what's so great is at the end, there's all this cheering. I don't know what it's like here, but there's cheering, there's medals, there's food at the end. I mean, you feel like you just won the Olympics. And like, maybe you came in like after the 80-year-old, but you feel like you just won the Olympics. Well, I realize you get the same amount of glory with the, five, with the 10K. Just as much food, just as much applause, you get the medal, and fewer blisters. So, uh, a few, a couple years ago, uh, my, my teenage son, he was graduating high school, and um, he had never, he never worked out like with weights, and some of you, you know, guys do that with weights, and he was feeling a little bit like, I'm scrawny, and so, summer before he, summer after he graduates high school, uh, he wants to work out great, and uh, I've never really worked out, so I start working out with him. We get a friend at the church who knows how to work out, writes stuff down on paper for us. We start doing it. And um, Jonah goes off to college. I keep doing it. Obviously, I'm not doing it that much, but I keep doing it. And uh, eventually, I run another 10K. Crazy thing. I'm running the 10K, and I, maybe, and it's not that long, but, you know, three quarters of the way through it, uh, I realize, like, I'm not extremely tired. I've got more energy, and I realize, like, my, my, I had something called a core. Like, I had core strength. And it made the running, like, so much easier. Like, wow, like, working out is really helpful for running. Where in the world am I going with this? It's the end of the day. The man in the mission. Like, tomorrow, I, I don't know exactly what's on the docket, but don't we want to know, like, what the mission of the church is? I mean, isn't that why we're here? Like, we're thankful for reaching and teaching. We're thankful for the company. We're thanking for, for thankful for all these spiritual ministries. But don't we want to know, like, what is the mission of the church? How do we execute it? You know, because we know God ordained the church, he ordained the church to be the church. He ordained the church to do church work. So a whole day thinking about like what the church is supposed to do, that's thrilling. So like, what does today matter? Um, the man. To me, it's a little bit like that core strength. Like it's one thing if the mission is the marathon, like the man, you got to have the man to run the marathon. I get that. But... Like that godliness, that, that holiness in ministry, that, that pastoral watchfulness, I mean, that's what you need in order to, by God's grace, execute the mission. And so that makes today, you know, maybe not the most important, but not unimportant at all. Josh asked, you know, a few hours ago, like, why is it that we don't seem to talk about this? And, it, and I, 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 don't, I, I do think people talk about it. Maybe... Those who talk about character, those who talk about morality, those who talk about godliness, are they sometimes sort of in camps that are less theologically astute than ours? And so we've come to be skeptical of some of their books and skeptical, you know, like so much focus on piety that when we really need to be focusing on sound doctrine. I think there's, 
I think there's, there's some of that. I think some of it is just, it's so obvious. Do you really need to get someone to stand up and talk to you about patience? I mean, what don't you understand? Like the problem, is the problem really in the, in the understanding here? You know, there, there may be nuances of the mission of the church that you just have gotten wrong. Like you really think it's the mission of the church to do X, Y, or Z mercy ministry. And it might be revelatory to recognize, oh, the, like the mission of the church is making disciples. Uh, well, praise God for that. What's revelatory about be patient? Like who walked into this room not knowing you need to be patient? I think maybe that's kind of the problem with the topic. So in, in just a few minutes, I guess my, I guess, I, if anyone should know, I should know. Um, my, my goal is not so much to give you any new information, but as we end this day thinking about the man, to exhort you in one of the pieces of the fruit of the Spirit that the Lord uses to sustain you for a life of executing the mission of the church. And in the absence of you having a rock-solid commitment to bearing the fruit of patience, uh, your ministry will, will flounder. And when things don't go very well, you'll either get really lazy and think, well, I'm going to be dead before any change happens anyway, and God is sovereign, so I think I'm going to spend a lot of time eating, you know, uh, whatever you eat where you are, I'm eating, and not worry about it. Or the opposite is going to happen. You know, things are not going the way you want them to go, and so you think, well, I'm just going to work myself to the bone, and at least, at least on my tombstone, they'll say it wasn't his fault. So this is, this, is really, this is really important. Forget you. Where does your neighbor need patience? Just yell it out. Where does your neighbor need patience? Children, like raising children, like knowing how to raise children or, and or enduring the foolish things that children do. Even uh, patience in uh, children are expensive, I mean, how, how do you handle the finances? Lots of things you've got to endure. Where does your neighbor need to be patient? Seeing fruit in ministry. Dealing with others' sin. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did, I, uh, I spent years with a brother, um, COVID, he kind of went away during COVID, um, sat down with him months ago and he said, Aaron, you know, all the time we met, I was never sure you liked me. <laughs> hey, patience, you know, people, you know, patience with yourself, patience with them. Uh, but, the, but discipleship is hard. There's no, there's no like program for it. Any, anything else? Raising up elders, and, and how many? I mean, I'm hearing talk about um, the workers are few. You know, I'm hearing like, again all around the room. Like, where are the people? Where are the pastoral assistants? 
well, how is it that we have churches that no one appears to be willing to pastor? You know, um, anything else? So being patient while people are, in a sense, they're, 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 they're communicating other methodologies right around you, which only makes your work harder. And then you walk around looking like the grumpy Grinch all the time. Um, there's a common assumption in America, at least, that after about seven years, married couples seriously contemplate divorce. I know this is a very American phenomenon. Um, different cultures have different views of marriage. And I'm not talking about guys in the church in America, but they call it the seven-year itch. Like after seven years, they say, sociologists say, there's this like dissatisfaction in marriage, and it grows, it becomes so acute that the husband or the wife decides it would just be better to end the union um, than, than to live in the midst of sadness and pain and disappointment. Well, could it be that that the husbands and the wives don't know what it means to be patient. Like, could it be that, that had they persevered just a few more years, they would, they would grow in their love for one another and their ability to not just um, like overlook the other's quirks, but to rejoice in the other's quirks. I mean, that's, I'm at 27 years of marriage and we got there, like rejoicing in one another's quirks. Whereas before, like, you've got to be kidding. I married this, you know, that's what she said. Um, <laughs> and yet over time, it's like, wow, this is like, you know, a, this is a unique person. I love this person. But after seven years, you know, and you've looked at the statistics in America and divorce rates, and this is people just give, it gets hard and people give up. Well, I think to, to John's point, not seeing fruit in ministry, our ministries can feel like a marriage, a marriage that we don't always enjoy. And though it's not sinful to leave your church, I appreciated Andy's comments a moment ago. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian first. I'm, I'm not a pastor. I could do something else. I don't know that we always feel like we could do something else. Um, but, it, but it is true we're a Christian first. And, and it's true that we don't often, we don't always enjoy the ministry. And it's not sin to leave the church. There may even be good reasons to find another flock to shepherd. But I just want to remind you in closing for the day that both as Christians and as pastors, we need to be patient too, trusting the Lord to work all things, even our ministries for his glory. The point is not if you wait long enough, you'll have a building like this. Like if you just wait long enough, it's going to be great. Like, there's too many examples of it. You just, you, you toil, 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 and then like David is planning to do, you die. And, and, and you, just, you, don't see any, you don't see any good. Uh, I just can't stand up here. I don't want to be that guy who says the great patience doc. You know, wait 10 years, and, you know, hundreds of people come and celebrate your anniversary. No, maybe wait 10 years, and still nobody knows your name, and the church hasn't grown, and... You know, you're still being supported by people in America asking how the ministries is, is going. And all you can say is, I'm alive. I think I'm still preaching orthodox things. No one's coming to faith. I mean, that's sometimes that's ministry. And there's a thousand different directions this devotional could go. But uh, I, I, I make it a goal to quote Charles Spurgeon in, in every talk I give. He put it beautifully. 
it's better again to imagine right now, like, don't look at me, just imagine being at the Metropolitan Tabernacle and hearing Spurgeon say this. Do you think you're going to be carried into heaven on a feather bed? Have you not, have you got a notion in your heads that the road to paradise is all lawn, the grass smoothly mown, still waters and green pastures ever and anon to cheer you? You have just got to clear your heads of that deceitful fancy. The way to heaven is uphill and downhill, uphill with difficulty, downhill with trials. It is through fire and through water, through flood and through flame, by the lions and by the leopards, through the very mouths of dragons is the path to paradise. That's how you recruit people to come and pastor these international churches. Like, this is what I've got for you. I've got dragon's mouths, dragon's teeth, dragon's breath. It's hard to hear, be patient. We know when your wife isn't thriving. She's just not thriving. Be patient. Your kids are lonely. I'm talking to so many missionaries whose kids are just lonely. And they knew if they were in um, the home country that they would have access to, you know, community in a way that they don't now, and their kids are lonely, and they hear, be patient. Church members complaining. Um, it can feel like the image that I have is like, you know, ministry is like emptying the ocean with a thimble. I want to encourage you to be patient. So I, I was going to talk about, like, why be patient and how be patient. I'm definitely not talking about how be patient. We can talk about that over dinner. I think I will mention why. But first, I just want to not say tough it out because Spurgeon said so. But remember the Bible. I mean, I'll give you a few examples, and I exhort you to think through the Bible and how many examples are in line with this. And by the way, the, the patience you need is not always because the ministry isn't thriving. You know, if you've been around uh, the world long enough, you'll know there's plenty of pastors who have seen amazing growth, and the trials are still there. You know, the, the, the numerical growth doesn't mean it's all on. So just, let's not look down on our brothers who are experiencing what you might consider success in ministry. This is a Christian thing, not a small church pastor thing or a big church pastor thing. Think about Joseph, two years in prison before finding favor in the eyes of Pharaoh. And I'm not adding up however long it meant, however long he had to deal with, you know, Potiphar's wife and his own brothers, you know, but that's, that's two years just right there of, of prison. Uh, you read Genesis, and there was a time when you hadn't read Genesis, so that was a joy. The first time you read Genesis, you didn't know what happened, you know? But it's the Bible, so you probably thought it'd be pretty good. Uh, but if you're in the prison, you, you, just, you don't know the end of the story. Um, I think of Israel and the four centuries of slavery. And, the thing, and that's, that's going to that's gonna be like... Um, the four centuries of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, but four centuries, that, that's like generations of Davids, you David, like dying. 
David after David dying, and and it's it's all slavery, you know, like it's so it's a joy to raise your, your to see your grandkids born, but what if they're just born into slavery and they're going to die in slavery? You got no reason to think that they're going to have anything other but slavery, anything other than slavery to look forward to. That was Israel, four centuries of that. Uh, Jesus endured the cross. Now, a lot of non-Christians will say, but it was only three days. What's the answer to that? Okay, so and to, so let, let's take three days and, and, and it's in one sense, say 30 years. Um, that's a good that's a good answer. Any other answers to it's just three days? <laughs> you do it. <laughs> What? Right, so how do you quantify that? How do you quantify forsaken? And if that's what he knew, if that's what he knew is coming, so the, the so when it, when it's when the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross, it's the, the God man endured the cross, the infinite. So don't give me just three days. When you you know you need to understand who Jesus, who, who is the one who endured? And you're going to realize that's, that's worse than anything you'll ever face. Um, and then you've got the teaching of Jesus. And, the, and my favorite, I'm sure I got it from my mentor in ministry, Mark Dever. I'm, I'm sure he taught me uh, the Bible about the parable of the mustard seed. And just this reality that those things that seem very small, eventually become the largest in the largest tree in the garden. I'd like to end the day by saying this is why I think you should be patient. I think there's lots of reasons. Meditatively, these are three. Because God has kindly made you to be a pastor. I recognize for some of you the patience is waiting to be a pastor. I know you're not all pastors. But as we think about the need for patience in ministry. Think about God's kindness in making you a pastor. Like I would argue that a day in pastoral ministry is never a waste. Now, I recognize, I recognize that that can be said by any Christian. Not the pastoral ministry part, but that your work is never a waste. Like if you're working for the glory of God, it's never a waste. So Andy and I would ha- eat a sub sandwich together in D.C. while he was helping America do agricultural stuff, pass agricultural laws, and I was trying to help America think about the local regulations. And I know that wasn't a waste, but at least as for me in my house, there's a sense in which I perceive that, that doing the work of a pastor is not a waste in a way that for me, working in politics, I'm not saying it was a waste, but it wasn't the same. I, I, I feel like, that's not the Bible, but I feel like heaven is being dented, or excuse me, hell is being dented when I'm in pastoral ministry. Like Regardless of who, who comes to faith, regardless of how many baptisms, if I can just, regardless of people thinking I don't like them and I'm doing my best to smile and minister to them, and I really do, Hell is being dented when the gospel is being proclaimed and the 
Saints are being encouraged. God's kindly made me a pastor. And, and for that reason, I can be, be patient. The work I'm doing is good and it's fruitful and it's productive and, and, and Satan hates it. Did Satan hate me working in politics? I think not as much as he hates me being a pastor. I think that Satan's going to hate any Christian doing good work in any vocation. But I think he especially hates pastoral ministry. I think he especially hates faithful pastoral ministry. You could be giving your life to other work, and that work would be good work. But for now, you're a pastor. And that means you have this calling of shepherding the flock of God and stewarding the gospel of God. And this, this job, if you can call it a job, is, is more important than any other job. Now, you can come and quibble with me about that in, in a moment. I'm not saying everybody needs to do it. But when I recognize, like, I can be patient because I recognize God has kindly made me a pastor. No one twisted my arm, you know. Um, this is something that I want to do. It's something that I believe that God has gifted me to do. I believe it's a privilege to do it. And therefore, as hard as it is, I'm going to remember God has kindly made me a pastor until the congregation you know, kindly decides I shouldn't be a pastor. Because, so just why be patient? Because your congregation is looking your way. Like they are blessed to see you enjoy your work. Now, I know I'm mixing patience and joy. It's, but it's, it's hard to say like you're really being patient if you're frowning, you know? I mean, they just, they, joy and patience go together. Uh, they are, you're, you're, the, your congregation, your team is blessed when they see you enjoy your work. They're blessed when they see you show up for work. They're blessed when they see you labor for them and with them. What a blessing you are to them by enduring the work God's given you to do. They're blessed to see you find refuge in Christ when the work is hard. They're blessed to see you sing his praises on even the darkest days. So I'm mindful as a dad of the importance of my kids. Like, I don't want to put a show on for my kids, but I know I want to set an example for them. You know, I want to show them that life is going to be hard, but you can be patient. You can have joy in the midst of it. Uh, be patient that you might model for your congregation almost the way you might model for your kids the power of the gospel to make us patient. Just tell the kids, get up in the morning, hey, I'm going through the mouth of a, of, a, of a dragon today. To God be the glory. And I'll just end with this. Because patience is temporary. You know, patience is temporary. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add, add one. All right, so I'm going to insert... Uh, I'm going to insert because ministry is short. And then we'll get to patience is temporary. Because ministry is short. Josh asked a question about thinking about death. I, th I should think about death more than I do. So just public acknowledgement of my own short-sightedness. And I assume it's maybe a sinful inclination. I just don't think about death very much. Um, so I need to think about death more. I do think about the brevity of ministry. Like, I don't know when I crossed a line and all of a sudden I saw the end line of ministry in a way that I never saw it before. Early on, it just always seemed like sort of an eternity of pastoral ministry. And then I thought, oh my goodness, there's just a few years left. Um, 
because of that, like, I, I want to be patient because I recognize ministry is short. I'm only, by God's grace, going to be able to accomplish so much. So I want to keep my hand to the plow for, for that period of time. I, want to, I don't want to work too hard, uh, and I don't want to work too little. So why, why do I want to be patient? Because ministry is, is short, and I want to do it well. All right, and then number four, because patience is temporary. Sometimes you simply have to open up Revelation 21 and remember that the new heavens and the new earth are not that far away. With the Lord, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. And again, this is hard when you're a young man. It does get easier the older you get. Before you know it, the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And on that day, you'll hear a loud voice from the throne saying, this is Revelation 21, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And that's why we're here, right? Like we believe that God dwells with his people. We believe that there is coming a future of inexplicable glory where we really do look into the face of God and live. Where God is with us in a way that's going to be better than the Garden of Eden. It's going to be better than that. There will be no potential to sin in heaven. And we're going to be his people. And God's going to be with us. And we want people to know God that way. That's why we're doing what we're doing. So the mission we're about to hear about tomorrow of evangelizing and discipling, making disciples of all nations, we desperately want people to know God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because this God will wipe every tear away from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. There's going to be no regret in heaven. I, I could, I, I could give a, uh, I could give a, a, a seminary. I could teach a whole seminary course on regret. There's so many things I regret, and I'm not that old. But somehow I know that in heaven, the regret's going to be gone. Because I'm going to see how God used even my sinfulness for His glory, and I'm going to rejoice over that. So, not nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So patience is building up my core strength right, so that I can see that finish line and, and run harder and faster, which includes resting appropriately, recognizing that patience is temporary. 